Hey guys, this is Brian from the Undeserving Podcast. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys a quick update. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little different uh, to explain a little bit. Uh, so what happens when Josh and I record is we usually get together and record like three or four episodes in one sitting because Josh and I live pretty far away from each other, uh, almost an hour actually. Um, so it's kind of hard for us to you know meet every two weeks and record an episode. So this last week, last week, two weeks, yeah, last week, uh, him and I were supposed to get together and record a few episodes, but I ended up getting a little sick, and I was concerned about what I had, and I didn't want to spread it to him. Um, turns out I was fine. I had a sinus infection. Um, but anyway, we couldn't get together like we had originally planned to record some episodes, um, and we were coming up on a deadline, and we didn't really have anything prepared to release this week. Um, however, uh, I actually had a um, accelerated class this week that for my last project I had to um, preach a sermon and I recorded it and I decided to um, talk to Josh and his wife and see if they'd be cool with uh, letting you guys hear this sermon as a placeholder for this week's episode. Um, so without further ado, yeah, this is a sermon on Matthew 7. Uh, it's a shorter sermon, uh, I think about like 15-20 minutes, um, so it's not too long. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it blesses you, and I hope that uh, you will be convicted and apply it. And uh, yeah, so yeah, hope you enjoy, guys. God bless. Welcome, everybody. Um, so I'll be going through chapter seven today. Um, when going through this chapter, there is a. <laughs> this is honestly one of the scariest chapters in the entire Bible, and we'll see why for good reason. So when treating these points that I'm about to exegete for you. I would like to hopefully uh, treat it with a lot of grace and a lot of respect, but also um, be bold and share some of the harder truths that are in this passage, because this passage does have a lot of really hard truths. Um, so please bear with me. Give me grace. Um, yeah, let's get started. Let me just pull my outline here. All right. So I divided this up into a few sections, so that way we can dissect what this is saying little by little. Um, so let's start with verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So... <clears throat> This kind of applies to the meme right here. Um, but the, re the reason why uh, I bring this up is because um, there seems to be a sense where people will generally take this verse out of context and try to use it to say, you cannot judge me. Right? Um, I've had people say that to me before. Like the Bible says, you cannot judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. But we need to read this in the appropriate context because if we're being technical, by him saying, by someone saying that to you, they're making a judgment about you, right? So we make judgments every day, and that's Jesus is not saying that we cannot judge, but we are to not judge in a few ways, actually. And that is to not judge hypocritically, um, do not condemn someone in judging them, because we have no right to do that as believers, and to not presume to know their heart. And that's actually something really interesting that I didn't realize this was saying, but um, Keener pointed out in his commentary. Um, so, 
wrong spot, that's why, sorry. Um, it's, he says, even if we know people's hearts, we could not evaluate degrees of personal guilt as if we understood all the genetic and social influences that combine with personal sinful choices in making some people more vulnerable to particular temptations such as alcohol or spouse abuse than others. More important, Jesus warns us that even if we knew people's hearts, we would be in no position to judge unless we had lived, lived sinless lives, never needing God's forgiveness. So this passage, like I said, is saying a couple things. We should not judge hypocritically. So if I'm at work and I see one of my brothers stealing a pen, and then I start condemning them for that, but I just went and robbed a convenience store, that's hypocritical judgment, right? So don't do that. Um, do not condemn someone in judging them. So all judgment should be for correction, and Jesus shows us how to do that, right? Um, we are to pull our brother aside, correct them face to face. They don't respond. They don't repent. Grab two, one or two brothers. They don't repent then. Grab the church. They don't repent then. Treat them like a pagan or tax collector, right? So we're giving a clear outline like how to do this. It should not be for condemnation. It should be for the sense of correction, right? Um, and more importantly, which is what I just read here, um, is that we should not presume to understand um, people's struggles like, like we have lived their lives, right? So if I see, I don't know, let's say like a brother who gets drunk, right? Um, I can't just put myself in his shoes and completely understand, pretend to understand like what he goes through. He may struggle with alcohol addiction, and that might be a serious temptation for him, whereas it's not for me, right? So everybody deals with, has their own weaknesses differently, right? So what, what my brother might struggle with versus what I might struggle with, and what's a temptation for me, what's not a temptation for me, could be completely different, right? So we need to treat that with love and grace and have, have the motive to um, help our brothers and sisters um, with their spiritual life, not to condemn and criticize them, right? So that's what Jesus is saying. Let's go on to verse 6. Hmm. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, and I think, really, this could be a confusing passage for people, and I think there's another Old Testament verse that can help us to uh, discern what this means, and that's in Proverbs 23.9, which says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Right? So, <laughs> what that's saying is, you know, you're going to find people when you share the gospel message who um, will just not want to hear what you have to say, or they just want to debate you, right? Um, so I think what Jesus is trying to say here is, <laughs> like, if, if someone obviously share the gospel and attempt to win that person over, but it's not in your control, right? It's in God's control. You can't change somebody's heart. So don't try to force it, <laughs> you know? And I, I'm sure we've all had experiences like that. I've had it with uh, my own family members, and I understand... Um, how tough it is. And personally, um, when I was a uh, when I was younger in the faith and I was zealous but didn't know a lot, <laughs> um, I was having a conversation with my older brother who um, has this weird belief that um, it's it's like it's basically new age with elements of Christianity. He basically believed that you know there is a God. And he borrows some stuff from the Bible. But basically, that God is in everything, which is called pantheism. Um, and all this nonsense. Um, but we were talking about that, and I had uh, tried to share with him uh, the real gospel, and uh, I mean, I probably didn't do it the best, uh, <laughs> best as I could have now. I didn't treat it with the grace that I should have, but I remember he just responded, like, at the time, super negatively, um, 
And I remember just going on the defense and trying to like, it's like, no, you're wrong about that, you're wrong about that, you're wrong about that. But like, what I should have done was say, all right, he doesn't want to talk about this. Obviously, he just wants to debate. I need to leave this alone. Now, there's a good, and there's a good ending to that story. We've had he apologized for that, and we've had more conversations since then. Um, he's still, unfortunately, uh, not a Christian, but. Um, I think there's a lesson in that, in that, you know, when we are sharing the gospel with people, we need to discern, um, discern uh, how to do that with love and grace and to not, you know, shove it down people's throats when they don't want to hear it. Um, so, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it, knocks, it will be opened. Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Um, so I think sometimes as believers, we, well, we all do this, but we have uh, a temptation to try to rely on ourselves to, to, to get the things we need. When really, this I think this verse clearly tells us like we have the privilege and the honor, even though we don't deserve it, to go and ask God for whatever we need, right? Um, and I think sometimes like like what James says here in James four two, you desire and do not have, same word you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, right? And I can think of a number of times in my own personal life where. Um, <laughs> I was trying to obtain something that I needed my own way, and I'm like, oh, I should probably ask God. And then I would pray, and I would get what I need, right? It's like, duh, like, <laughs> why don't I remember that? <laughs> but there's a condition, right? And I think this is explained. Um, this is why like, we can't just take verses and isolate them. We can't base our theology off of one verse, right? Because I think the Bible makes it very clear that there are conditions to our prayer. Um, and that is that you can't just go ask for a Tesla, right, and then God will give it to you. <laughs> so th- I think this verse is clearly saying, like, God knows what we need before we ask, and he um, is willing to give us what we need if we ask him. But we need to also have the right motives, as James also says. And I'm going to be reading out of James a lot today. Um, but it said, James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right? So I think sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayers, it's because we are asking with the wrong motives. Even if we think we have the right motives sometimes, like, um, we, I think we sometimes elevate to what we want as to what we need. And God knows what we need, and he knows what's best for us. So um, if, we're not, if we're not getting our prayers answered, um, not saying it's always the case, but there might be a chance that we are asking with the wrong intentions, right? Um, but God does care for you deeply, and he loves you and he, he he will provide everything you need, right? Um, so we, as Hebrews says, we are able to draw near to the throne of grace and ask for whatever we need. Like we have that opportunity as believers and that's wonderful. Um, but with everything we ask, it should be with a kingdom mindset. Like how can I do this for God's glory? Right? Then we go to 12 and 14. Um, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. This is all the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Right, so this is where it gets a little grim. Um, let's start with the golden rule. I think we can compare this to the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Um, and then Jesus elaborates on this further. He says there is a second rule like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So um, in showing our love for God, and I think this is why Jesus says this here, we should also, uh, we demonstrate that by showing love for others, right? And uh, later on in Matthew, he said, he talks about, um, you know, you gave me a place to, to eat, like you gave me water when I needed it, all these things. And they say, well, what do you mean? Like, when did we ever do this for you? He's like, what you did for one of the least of these, you also did for me, right? So there's a sense here, um, the golden rule, I think, applies. Like, it, it shows our love for God. It's how we treat other people, right? Not that we are <laughs> justified by uh, showing love for people, because let's be real, like non-believers can show love towards people either, but we show our love for God for what we do for people. That's part of regeneration, right? Um, enter by the narrow gate, ways wide that leads to destruction, and the gate to life is narrow and hard. Um, and you know that <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of religions out there, we all know this, um, and these people are attempting to seek God, find God and find everlasting life. Um, but Jesus claims, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and nobody comes through the Father except through me. And that's why this verse is saying there are many ways that lead to destruction, right? There's a lot of religions out there that ultimately lead people towards hell, but there is only one way towards heaven, and that's through Christ. And that's why the way is narrow, and it is hard, because, and let's be real, um, believers... And some being a believer in some aspects is difficult, right? We're persecuted. People don't like us for our faith. Uh, it, it's, it is hard. Um, move on through 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Um, there's a, and especially in our modern day, there is a slew of false teachers out there, right? I mean, we see them on TV. Um, and what's really dangerous about, um, about false teachers is like they're not necessarily people we would call heretics that you know, deny the core tenets of the Christian faith but they're people that insert a lot of half-truths into the gospel message and add to the gospel message or don't, um, don't promote the full gospel, right? They give a watered-down version of the gospel, which ultimately can't save people. Um, and I, I have my own experiences with that. I um, fell into a lot of deceptive false teachings when I first became a believer, um, and that, that's why it's so destructive, and Jesus warns against these people because they are subtle. Like, we don't... If you're not a discerning Christian, we don't, we, you may not be able to discern like what's good teaching versus what's false teaching, right? Um, but you can know them by their fruit, right? And that's why you see a lot of the downfall of like these, um, like in the in the Catholic Church, like people priests being exposed for pedophilia and um, like all these false teachers um, who are um, exposed for sexual misconduct, right? Um, and it's not surprising because, you know, if you don't have the real gospel and the real truth, like, there's no regeneration that takes place. Um, 
And this is, this next part is probably the scariest passage in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Um, and Paul Washer did a really amazing sermon on this. Um, if you guys are interested, I can certainly um, send you the link to that sermon. Um, but there's a lot of really hard truth for this passage. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So <laughs> what this seems to imply, and this is what is scary, is that not, not all who profess Christianity are going to make it to heaven. Um, and guys, let's be real. We live in Lancaster County. Everyone and their brother professes to be a Christian. Um, <laughs> but how, how many people do you see that profess Christianity, but they're not interested in reading the Bible? They're not interested in talking about the Lord. They're interested in praying. They are interested in growing. And they've been like that for years. I know people like that. And it's very scary because the Bible does promise that if you are in Christ, you will bear good fruit, right? Um, and <laughs> uh, James says that works without, I'm sorry, faith without works is dead. James is not saying that works justify you, but your salvation always brings forth good fruit, right? Um, and that's how we can test our faith. If we're genuinely in the faith, like over time, you know, we will hate sin more and more. We will love righteousness more and more. And I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate here that we will ever stop sinning because First John 1, 9 says, he who says he is without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, but First John also says that... Um, uh, if we say we love God, but we keep on sinning, the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves, right? So um, there's this aspect of, like, over time, like, we're being continuously sanctified. We're loving truth. We're hating unrighteousness. And we still sin because we are fallen people and we will not stop sinning until um, we are glorified in heaven with Christ. But if we stay in the same spot, if we profess Christianity and stay in the same spot for years and years and years, that's concerning, right? Um, and I, I think what Christ is saying here is that if if you love me and you are in me, you will keep the law. You will obey me, right? Not keep the law, sorry. Keep my commands and obey me. Um, so I just really want to stress that, guys, is that um, you know, keep <laughs> keep an eye on fruit. Keep an eye on other people's fruit. It's like correct your brothers and sisters um, who are maybe falling into sin so that you can see where they stand. So, build your house upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I'm just going to include the last two verses in here for the sake of time. And when Jesus finished his sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching as of one who had authority and not as his scribes. What's this saying? I think it's pretty clear that um, building your foundation upon Christ is the only way. It ties back to um, that verse that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, so if our foundation is not in Christ, it's not secure. It's like the person who builds their house upon the sand is doomed to fall and um, Ultimately, it's not a good foundation. But these last two verses, I think, sum up 
this section really, really well, um, is that um, you know, they were astonished by Jesus' teaching because he uh, taught as those who had authority, right? So I think this meets the, the theological qualifications of Christ. He had this authority because he is God, right? Um, so he had the, the authority that the scribes didn't have. So the point of this, the points to sum it up for this chapter are, one, be careful how you judge others um, and do not judge people with hypocrisy or condemnation. Two, um, <laughs> you have to look out for false prophets, um, discern and um, build, up, build up yourself in the word. The more, you, the, the more you read the word and the more you study the word, the less you're gonna be deceived, right? Um, three, share the gospel with all of its, uh, all of its fullness, don't water it down, <laughs> gospel defensive, right? Um, but preach the true gospel in its wholeness and its fullness and don't add to it. Um, and lastly, if your foundation is in Jesus, your foundation is secure. Amen. Thank you.